across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Avalanche Talk, the Mile High Sports Podcast, where we talk all things Avalanche hockey. I am your host, J.J. Jerez. With me, as always, Arif Dean. Arif, how's it going this fine Tuesday evening? I'm doing a lot better than the Avalanche are on the injury front, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, just, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, right? I mean, that's really what we're going to get into here mostly is all these injuries. You know, all these injuries they've been just kind of fighting through, somehow still getting wins, and then Nathan McKinnon goes down, leaves the game last night. Um I guess let's just start with your thoughts on losing the uh, the potential MVP candidate here. That was the guy that you didn't want to lose. Anybody else was okay, um, and that's been proven because literally every other uh, everybody else has been out at one point. Your top two defenders in Gerard and Makar, your top six forward Landeskog, Granton, and Kadri, Donskoy, Burakovsky have all missed time. Your top goalie, your other top goalie. Uh, this was the one guy you didn't want to see go down. It's been over two years since he was last injured, and I remember back then it felt very, very miserable, and it feels almost just as terrible now. Yeah, I mean, that's what's crazy is about about this whole thing is he's just a guy that we rarely see miss time. He's yeah. almost like an Iron Man. Uh, you know, but with that comes maybe some sort of fatigue. You know, he puts a lot of pressure on his body, and you know he plays through injuries. It's not like he's played two years consecutively without actually being hurt. I mean, we saw him leave a game earlier this season. Of course, he came right back to the next game, and he didn't miss any time, which, honestly, I expect him to do this time again. Yeah. But, um, you know, again, it's just it's that guy that you don't expect to see go down, but he, now with as much wear and tear he's put on his body the last couple seasons – it's not surprising. It's certainly not surprising, and there's two things that haven't helped. Number one, all these injuries have played a, a large toll on his body. I mean, he the Avalanche went into a 14-3-1 stretch or whatever it was this last month and a half, missing pretty much their entire top six outside of him and Landeskog. Mm-hmm. And uh, aside from that, so he's been playing a lot more minutes than he probably should. And number two, their schedule just sucks right now. I mean, in the beginning of the season, they had all these three, four, or five-day breaks where they were practicing every other, every single day, and it's just like, when the hell's our next game? And now they're literally playing every other night. Yeah, that's what's made it tough for and, us to and, podcast. Yeah, and back-to-back as well. It's yeah. like, hey, you want a podcast after the back-to-back? There's no time. And yeah. their practicing is the same thing. They haven't had a practice. Uh, they haven't been to the practice facility for a full practice since the trade deadline. I believe there may have been one more after that, but that's about it. Which there is kind of a plus side to that, in my opinion, that all the guys that are injured can just kind of stay back and and take their, you know, all the ice time that they need to make sure that they're recovering correctly. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's what they've been doing. I mean, Bednar mentioned today on his uh, radio hit with Mosier and them on Altitude Radio that – He's he's got some guys skating back in Denver, and tomorrow we'll be at morning skate. Well, I'll be at morning skate tomorrow at ten thirty in the morning. Uh, we're talking. You'll probably be listening to this podcast at that time, Wednesday morning, before the game against the Rangers. I'm sure we'll see an update. We'll hear an update on Grubauer 
Kadri, Rantanen. I'm sure we'll see McKinnon there. I'm kind of feeling a little optimistic that one of those big names uh, in regards to Rantanen, Kadri, Makar Burakovsky, one or two of them will be in a regular jersey and in a regular sweater and not a, pra- and not a red non-contact sweater. Um, but, you know, we'll get an update then. But these guys have been skating, and that's obviously your Grubauers, your Rantanens, your Kadris, and the Avalanche have been on the road for four days. So with McKinnon, I mean, it was strange because none of us could really pinpoint the actual injury. Like I said, I don't see him really being out. I think he's going to be jump, jumping right back into the, the roster and be ready for the next game, which is tomorrow night already. Do you, do you kind of see that same thing, or do you think you know this might be a little bit more serious than uh, we're led to believe? So the reason why I feel like it's like that is just because of the general aura there is around this injury in the sense where uh, when – I mean, obviously, when Rantanen went down, everybody knew he was he was going to be out for a mm-hmm. little while. But usually, when somebody goes down, Bednar sort of gives that, well, reevaluate, but expect it to be on the bad side. And this time, it was more like, yeah, he's going to get reevaluated, but we're hoping it's not serious. He doesn't miss time. And it just seemed like he was being more on the glass half full rather than the glass half empty side. That mixed with, you know, there wasn't really anything that you could see that brought him down. There was always a replay with Rantanen, with Kadri and these guys, and with McKinnon, I mean, there's that one play floating around where he kind of got slew-footed but kind of didn't by Martin Furk along the boards. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't think it's going to be a serious thing. I'm I'm, I'm expecting him to play tomorrow. And uh, if Kadri's the guy that's going to be in a, in a regular sweater and, and be out there as well, then he might play less minutes than he usually does, which would be great. Um, but if McKinnon does not play, then, you know, you're – Gonna have to roll with maybe Comfort. Nemestikov's been a center before, so it could be a little bleak. We'll see. I just think, um, you know, like you pointed out, that that injury wasn't obviously, I guess, egregious. It wasn't a bad injury from yeah. from just plain view. And for that reason, I don't think it's gonna be enough to hold Nathan McKinnon back. He's just too much of a warrior. He knows how much pressure is on his shoulders, and you know how much this team needs him out there to really be the the great team that they're expected to be. So. I just think that warrior mentality in him is not enough of an injury to keep him out. He's going to play through until he's 49% or below, you know. So as, as long as he's 50% or above, I think he's going to fight through it and he's going to play. And we'll probably hear something after the playoffs. Oh, Nathan McKinnon was playing with, you know, yeah, a broken fibia and yep. half a heart. But he, he's still yeah. out there playing, you know. Yeah, and uh, McKinnon this year compared to two years ago, I mean, he said it earlier this year when I wrote a feature on him is – he doesn't care about the heart trophy. He doesn't care about the points. He doesn't care about any of these things. It's not about hitting 100 points. It's not about winning the MVP. It's just simply about winning games and, and setting yourself for a good position in the playoffs. And he's mentioned many times, this is the first time in seven years that I think that we actually have a chance of winning in terms of him being in the NHL for seven years. And uh, he wants first place in the West. He wants first place in the Central. He wants to catch St. Louis, which it's kind of funny. Every time St. Louis loses, the Avalanche have a chance to catch them, and then they lose, and then St. Louis wins. The Avalanche beat San Jose. So, I mean, they're still in a good position. They're two points back with a game in hand, and uh, they have all the tiebreakers. But that's what what kind of makes it tough. Yeah, they're they're chasing this uh, first place in the West. At the same time, they're in the playoffs. So do you really want to risk Nathan McKinnon being injured for further through the playoffs just to kind of fight your way to the top of the West? Or would you rather rest your top guy, get him ready for the playoffs, and, you know, just whatever happens, happens? I mean, I don't think that's something that anybody can decide other than McKinnon. Mm -hmm. There's not many players in the league that are like that. I mean, we've seen it with McDavid. When McDavid got hurt last month, 
uh, Edmonton was embarking onto a four-game road trip, and he said, yeah, I'm going to fly to Toronto and go see my doctors. That's the kind of thing that people like him can do, people like McKinnon can do. You don't see that around the NHL on a regular basis. Matt Calvert can't pull something like that. Um, but if you're Nathan McKinnon and you want to play and you know you can play and be effective, nobody's going to say no, and that's just the reality of it. Yeah, he did that last year too. If you remember the the very last game of the regular season, he didn't have to play. The yeah. Avalanche were in. He was kind of chasing that uh, 100. The 100 points, so he played anyway. You know, so he has it in him to just say, you know, I don't care what everybody thinks. I'm going to yep. play. So yeah. I, I definitely think uh, we should probably ex- just expect to see him back. But um, a- along with him, a lot of the other players should be getting back right around playoff time. Uh, a lot of the key injuries, especially. Um, it could be a good thing, you know, that they're going to be fresh. Um, but my my real question is, will they be 100 percent come playoff time will they be ready to go I mean you know this is a lot of time Kadri's been missing Rantanen's been missing and even Grubauer that's a lot of of I guess intensity in the games that you're going to be missing out on that you know you can't really just make up for uh, I mean I might sound a little optimistic in saying this but I think the Avalanche are handling these guys exceptionally well I could be wrong this is a complete shot in the dark on my behalf but after the trade deadline, Joe Sackick had his press conference and he told us that these guys are all expected in the mid to late March time frame. And that's with about 7 to 10 games left in the regular season. Uh, Jared Bednar came up right after practice, said mid-March. Exact same thing. I think what the Avalanche are doing with the Kadri's and Calvert's and Grubauer, uh, Kadri, Calvert, Grubauer, and Ranton, and those guys that have been out for longer is they're doing exactly that. They're keeping them out for as long as possible, all the while knowing these guys are going to need 7 to 10 games, 11 games to sort of get their feet wet and be ready to go for the playoffs. And uh, I think that when they come in, they're going to be you know, pretty much fully healthy or close to it. And I kind of think they're doing that with these other guys that have been injured along the way as well, Burakovsky and Kel McCarr. Uh, McCarr missed the game against Detroit. That was his first game he missed. It's already been five games. Nobody was expecting him to be out five games. It was a day-to-day, and then when they were going on this three-game road trip after the the last home game, the overtime loss to Anaheim, uh, we said, hey, Jared, are, are uh, McCarr and Burakovsky coming on the road trip? And he said no. And it's kind of been like, okay, we're just going to give Kale McCarr some more time. No one cares about this Calder Trophy thing. No one cares about his points record and what he's doing as a rookie. It's about this is our best defenseman, and let's save him for the playoffs. So I could be being optimistic here, but I think the Avalanche are handling these injuries very well, and they're doing their due diligence and making sure that all these guys are completely healthy. The only person that you're not really going to do that with is McKinnon for the reasons that we just stated beforehand. Um, but I'm confident as long as there's no setbacks, as long as nobody else gets hurt along. I mean, at this point, there's nobody else to get hurt. What are you going to lose at Comfer? <laughs> like mm-hmm. at this point, there's not much to lose. Uh, no disrespect to, you know, the players that are still in, but I think if they're fully he- if if their lineup is fully healthy in the terms where everybody's playing outside of Colin Wilson, then it's going to be a healthy lineup for the most part. Yeah, I think that that's awesome. And, and, you know, the fact that they've been winning, pulling kind of wins out of their asses lately. It sort of it, it gives you a better reason to say, hey, Kadri, let's take another week. Right. Hey, Rantanen, let's rest. I mean, Rantanen, we know the injury he had, and we know that's a, you know, four to six week or six to eight week or whatever it was. Uh, all these other guys we don't know, and mm-hmm. that includes Makar and Burkowski. So it sort of helps, like, hey, we just went on a seven-game winning streak. How about you guys just sort of take a chill for another week? And mm-hmm. They're not going to say anything to that either. These are bodies with a lot of, a lot of miles on these bodies, and – you know, someone like Nazem Kadri, he's he's played a tough game for a very long time where he doesn't care about playing 82 anymore. It's just about the playoffs, and 
hopefully not getting suspended, but you know. Yeah, you're spot on. Hopefully they're taking their time nursing these injuries because the last thing you want, and knock on wood, uh, is for any of these guys to be not 100% heading in the playoffs and they tweak something again, and then, and yep, then, then what? And especially this year more than ever, aside from Boston, you know, there's no real front runner for the cup, in my opinion. It really could be anyone's cup, just kind of like it was last year, but I think even more so. You look up and down the standings, it, it really is anybody. So how disappointing would it be to, to have that ruined by another injury? So I think you're right. They're taking every step they can and being as cautious as possible, making sure these guys are 100% for the playoffs. And, you know, all these other factors certainly play a playoff play a role in it as well the avalanche have an eight point cushion on dallas and dallas is losing to the rangers right now four to one as we tape this podcast so they're most likely and they're in the third period so they're most likely going to lose in regulation they got an eight point cushion on them they have a 12 point cushion on the next team in the wild card spot which is both nashville and winnipeg so they're going to the playoffs and they're going to have home ice advantage in the first round the only way that doesn't happen is if you know things go you know the wheels come completely off in over the next 13 games which i find hard to believe so it's a lot easier at this point to just rest players and and really take your time and sort of work your way in and at the same time if you can catch st louis go for it you still have the chance but if st louis starts to build a gap it's like yeah we tried it was out of our control Mm -hmm. yep absolutely and and a nice four game homestand might be you know just what the doctor ordered which is what they have ahead of them here. So, you know, the doctors in town, all the injured players getting all the attention they need. You know, I think that might be exactly uh, what they need here to start getting really healthy and and really back in the groove of of being a strong team. Um, I guess, you know, while we're talking about how well they've been doing lately, uh, they've beat their point total from last year. But to me, it feels like this has been a much harder, like they've had to scratch and claw. It didn't seem like they were getting that close to to their point total from last year, but there it was, you know. So, um, yeah. What, I what's mean, your takeaways? before this three-game road trip, it was kind of crazy to look at their record and see that they were 40, what was it, 40, 18, and 8. I'm like, holy shit, they have 40 wins and they don't even have 20 regulation losses mm-hmm. yet. And, you know, it's not like their OTLs are way up through the roof. They're only at 8. It's less than St. Louis. It's less than Edmonton. It's less than Boston. Uh that's an exceptional record. I mean, they have 13 games left. There's 26 points left on the board. And they're already at 90. I mean, they can hit 110 by going 10 and three, which is kind of crazy. But they just recently went 14 and three. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. But I mean, the last month these wins have sort of been hard to come by. They they went through a seven game winning streak. They beat the Islanders three to one, and then the next six games were one goal games. Right, right. They that was going to be my next point. Yeah. that's kind of why I feel like they've been scratching and clawing because we've seen a lot of those one goal games, especially lately. And yeah, I wanted to dive into that. That what was it? Six, seven game streak of uh, one goal wins. Right? Six, six, six straight, yeah. Six, yeah. So, kind of, I guess, what just what's your biggest takeaway from that? Like, what attributes to just a team having those that string of one goal wins? Uh, it's exactly what Jared Bednar was preaching, f- probably from October until February, right before this game <laughs> against the Islanders, is the commitment to checking. Uh, the team came together and they played a tight defensive game. I mean, they beat the Isles three to one, and the Islanders had that late goal. So it was ultimately nearly a three nothing shutout for the Avs, and then they went on a, you know, three and four night back to back in Anaheim and L.A. and won one nothing and two to one. Then they came back and beat Buffalo three to two. Then they had to go for another three and four night back to back on the road on a Friday Saturday again. This time against better teams, Carolina and Nashville, and they beat both of them. And it's it's basically been hey our forwards are out. We have a lot of injuries. McKinnon's not scoring because he went through that seven-game winning streak. He didn't score a single goal, I believe. 
and you know we're going to rely on our goalie our defense and our forwards have to have that commitment to checking and helping out the defenders and they played a full team defensive game for ultimately that entire seven game winning streak and those six one goal wins against Detroit that was a six of the the seventh of the seven straight wins and the sixth straight one goal win they had 10 shots against through the first two periods uh, you know, you had Hutchinson in net, his first start, a lot of butterflies. He let in a bad goal, was giving up a lot of rebounds. Then he settled down, but it helps when you only give up 10 shots in the first, you know, in the last, uh, in the first 40 minutes. And uh, this is against a team that right now is doing pretty well. I mean, Larkin, Manta, and Bertuzzi are playing the way that they were at the end of last season. They're scoring a lot of points. They just beat Tampa Bay. So, you know, the Avalanche did a good job, and that was ultimately why. And, at no point during that seven-game winning streak and those six straight one-goal games did you feel like, hey, they're going to lose these. It was kind of like they got this in the bag, and they, they did. They scratched and clawed to the final minute, but they finished those games off. They didn't give up any leads like they were earlier. And uh, that said a lot about this team and why I'm confident that when they're healthy, that's sort of going to carry over this time rather than the last time they got healthy. Yeah, I mean, not to, just to add to how impressive it's been, a lot of this has been on the road, too. Yeah. you know, So that just throws yep. in a, a whole nother challenge right there. Um, but uh, I think, you know, obviously, Francis deserves a lot of credit. Gabe Landeskog's presence, I think, lately has really been felt. Mm -hmm. He deserves a ton of credit, of course. Um, but really, I think it's just Jared Bednar. I mean, we've known from the start kind of why he got this job. I mean, he has a very... Um, I guess, direct way of coaching that he, he's – there's a reason he coached under John Tortorella, let's say. You know, there's a way you need to play under Jared Bednar, and if you're not playing that way, he's going to hold you accountable. We've seen it lately with some of the roster moves he's made with A. Martin Kau, uh guys like Nikita Zadorov, you know, just the guys, guys moving around in and out of the, the lineup. Um, I guess, you know, a lot of people have been critical, I guess, of kind of the way Jared Bednar has been managing the roster, but – we know his message is hard work, hard work all the time. And if you're not going to do the things that we need you to do, then you just simply haven't earned that playing time. What do you kind of make of the the latest roster decisions that Jared Bednar has kind of been going with? Especially, you know, you have an injured lineup. You're still kind of cutting guys that are starting regulars and you're you're throwing them in the press box and you're throwing in guys who are AHLers. You know, just what do you make of all the all the decisions Bednar has made lately? It says to me that he spent the first 65 games building trust with his players. And a lot of these players he's had for years, obviously you're talking about Nikita Zadorov, who was healthy scratch for two consecutive games. He's had these players for years. He's built that rapport. He's built that relationship with them. And it's gotten to game 65 of the year. Now they're at 69. And he's saying, we're missing a lot of players, but that doesn't mean that you have that you can sort of take your foot off the pedal. And if there's something that he doesn't see, that he sees something that he doesn't like, he'll call up a Sheldon Dries. He'll play a Mark Barbario who hasn't played much this year. And uh, that's the kind of respect. The respect is given in order to be earned. And he's given that respect. And now he's earned the right and the respect to say, I'm going to sit you. I'm not going to play you. And if you're going to play better, Tyson Jost, you're going to get a bump in your ice time. Uh, does that mean it's going to stay like that forever? No, but right now you're playing better. You're giving a better effort. We're going to play you more. Zadorov, he obviously got benched against Anaheim after the first period, three goals against, or whatever it was. Maybe it was two goals against. Um, and that's just you know that's that's yeah. the kind of coaching that's the kind of coach he is, and he's earned the right to do that with his players. Right. I mean, he's been successful at every level for a reason because he earns that respect from his players. He gets them to play the way that they need to. And again, like I said, 
if you're not doing it, you're not going to play. He's not afraid to sit a veteran like Ian Cole like yep. he did the other day. He's not afraid to to scratch an ego like Zadorov, you know, because he's he runs that room and he doesn't let anybody real or you know feel otherwise. Um, so I think a lot of respect goes to Jared Bednar right now. It's got to be tough making some of these decisions For sure. he's made, um, especially the Martin Kaut call. Uh, I guess not call up. Right, hey, they yeah. called him up, scratched him. Not ready to play him. They don't want to burn his ELC. Yeah, right. So, um, a lot of people think he deserves to be with the Avalanche. Are you uh, okay with this decision of keeping him with the Eagles for the rest of the year? I like it because uh, I know there's a lot of injuries, but a player like Cal at this time of his career is not going to win you many games. Uh, he's been exciting. It's given him a lot of confidence, and it's given him the ability to say, "Hey, you know what? I am an NHLer." Because in the beginning of the season, Cal wasn't scoring anything in the AHL. And the talk was he's a bust, he's a bust, he's a bust. Now he's gotten a taste. This reminds me of like 10 years ago when Kevin Shattenkirk played 10 games in the AHL and had zero points. And then the Avalanche were like, ah, screw it, let's call up this guy. We drafted him in the first round, and he went on that run. He had like a 12-game point, 12 game point streak as a rookie defenseman, which was like something crazy. And then he eventually was a big trade chip in a very big blockbuster deal. Uh, so that's what this call-up reminded me of. Um in regards to the game against uh, the Los Angeles Kings on Monday, uh, he wasn't even able – he wasn't even eligible to play because he was an emergency call-up mm-hmm. under the under the basis that Nemestikov apparently was banged up, we heard today from Bednar, that Nemestikov was – Of course was, he was. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't he be? Mm-hmm. He's the only one left. Uh, <laughs> and uh, – he was banged up, and there was a possibility he wouldn't play. And then, as soon as it was, you know, determined that he could play, Cout can no longer be used because he was an emergency call-up. So, would Cout have been a better option than Sheldon Drys? Yeah, for sure, probably. Um, Cout has one more game of eligibility before burning his ELC, but uh, they might use it. They might not. At this point, it's you know, this isn't bringing in Makar into the playoffs last year and burning a year off of his ELC. Uh, Makar is a difference maker. Cal is someone that you want to slowly bring up, and you know I I respect the decision. I like it, and he's not going to have a t- spot on this team when 13, 14 forwards are healthy. Um, right, and that's where that was going to be my next yeah. point. This team is built to have more depth than than it does now, just because of the amount of guys that are out. Yeah. So come playoff time, when you know they're going to be f- really making a tough decision on who they're scratching, then. Obviously, Cout has no room there. At this point in the season, sure, maybe he fits. Come playoff time, yeah. there's not really a role for so him. So at that point, it's, you know, do you want to burn the first year of his ELC just so he can play 12 games? No, we'll just stop him at 9. Right now he's at 8. He can play one more before burning that first year. And maybe they're saving that for the playoffs just in case something crazy happens in the playoffs and they need to call him up. But, you know, when the Avalanche are fully healthy, obviously Colin Wilson aside, they have 14 forwards. They have the top 12 and they have... Tyson Jost and Vladislav Kamenev on the outside looking in, or maybe Nemestikov, or maybe Nieto on the outside looking in. But those are your 13th and 14th forward. Is, can you make a case that Cowd is more effective than Kamenev? Yes, perhaps. Can you make a case he's going to be more effective than Jost? Yes, perhaps. But right now he's not. And that's just the case. I mean, that's the reality. He's a young kid. He's he's an energizer bunny. He plays a very good game. And I think he's, he's he has a future in the NHL. And that's something that we learned in eight games that two months ago, if you asked me that, I would have probably said he doesn't. AHL playoffs, I'm sure, right around the quarter. I don't even know if Colorado Eagles are making it. I'm sure they are. I right? believe they are. They they've gone on a run the last few months. Hunter Misko's nine and four in his last thirteen. When I checked a few days ago, and uh, you know that's Cal is such a lovable guy. You don't you'd hate to take that away from him. He plays yeah. a major role on that team. You'd hate to just rob him of, of you deserves. know the AHL playoffs. He deserves just to be so out he there. can sit in the press box. Yeah, right, exactly, and make a run. There, you know, he doesn't need to be sitting there next to Hutchinson, yeah. slamming some nachos. 
So, um, you know, I think that's about all we have for the injuries. I wanted to get in now just a little bit uh, towards the end of the podcast here, just on the on the schedule ahead. I mean, abs are, like you said, they're every other day for the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, no more back-to-backs. Yeah. No more back-to-backs, but they are literally going every, every other day. Every other until day. April 4th, yep. Until, until the end. So um, the next couple, like I mentioned, four-game homestand, a very good chance to uh, really uh, – crawl up the, up that uh, Western Conference standings, but they got the Rangers uh, up first. Right, let's just start breaking that down because likely, hopefully, everybody's listening to this podcast right before that game um, on, coming up on Wednesday night. Last time the Avs met the Rangers, Shesterkin happened. Yeah. So what do the Avs got to do to make sure, you know, they get don't get Shesterkin again if he's even playing? Uh, first of all, they got to score goals with whatever's left on their offense. And second of all, they, you know, the other factor in getting Shesterkin was, uh, you know, surrendering five goals to the Rangers. And right now the Rangers are scoring a lot. Zibanejad just hit 40 goals in 56 games. They look good offensively. And yeah, it's crazy. need to stop that firepower. And suddenly they're kind of in a in a playoff race. You know, they're not completely they're, out of it just they're yet. They're not a bad team. I mean, right now they're sitting, you know, three spots out of the wild card, but they have two games in hand on Columbus and they're only five points back. Granted, they got to jump a couple teams, but... It's not unreasonable to think that the Rangers. Can, I mean, this is this is a better position than the Avalanche were in with 13 games left last year. Mm. And we saw what Grubauer did, and they suddenly went on a run. And you know, one thing led to another. They were in the second round, Game Seven against San Jose. So it's not out of the you know realm of possibilities to say the Rangers can make the playoffs. Zabanajad, like I said, 40 goals in 56 games. Ryan Strom is like a point per game player, and he was a throw into like a bunch of trades from Edmonton and the Islanders and he was just sort of like falling off the map uh, and his NHL career was going down and Chris Kreider's hurt right now but he stayed put for a reason. Buchnevich obviously was in that car accident with Shesterkin both are healthy, both are back so they look good. The Avalanche are going to have their hands full. Uh, Capo mm-hmm. Caco had a couple goals today, Tuesday. He's up to 10 finally on the season so he's starting to score. Adam Fox on defense. Tony D'Angelo Gotta love the ego and the personality on that guy, and he's backing it up. He's up to 50-something points, so they look good. Yeah, and now more than ever, you know, they got to really emphasize that defensive side of the of the puck. Like you said, they don't really have many goal scorers left. Yeah. So that's why kind of Jared Bednar has been placing so much emphasis on the defensive yep. responsibilities, and he's been sitting, guys, because they need that defense to be on point. 100%. They need their goaltenders to be on point, and this has to be another, you know, Three, two, two, one game because they just don't have the firepower to really compete in a high-scoring shootout. They got to be shutting them yeah. down defensively. A lot's going to be on Francouz. A lot's going to be on the defense, and just try to squeak it out. Another one-goal win, I think, is what this one's going to have to be. That that's what they're going to need to do. And I mean, this would be a fun game to watch if both teams were fully healthy, and that includes Chris Kreider on their side, and then all the forwards that are on the Avalanche side, just to see the offense go nuts on both sides. Um, but that's not going to be the case. The Rangers have a lot more firepower in the lineup right now, and the Avalanche are going to have to win by playing defensive. It's always tough, too, when a, an East Coast team comes into town because it's just a team you see twice a year. Yeah. You know, you're not, you don't have that much familiarity with them. So Avalanche always find themselves kind of in a bad spot when, you know, a decent Eastern team comes into town. Yeah. they. I mean, they had a pretty good record against the East in the early going of the season, and they beat all those big teams. Uh, Washington, they split. Boston, they swept. Tampa, they split. Toronto, they split. Pittsburgh, Philly, et cetera. So uh, it's going to be a good game. I mean, this is not an easy game. This is not your L.A.'s and San Jose's. Granted, they lost to L.A. just now. This is not your L.A.'s and San Jose's and Boston – or not Boston, your Ottawa's and Detroit's and all those teams. Um 
they're not necessarily in a playoff spot, but they're a damn good team, and they're playing really good right now, so it's going to be a fun game. They just can't beat the Kings, can they? <laughs> Looking next, uh, right after that, is Vancouver. Again, a team I think they match up pretty well against, but somehow just have lost a handful of games to the Vancouver Canucks this year. Not, I, I can't really put my finger on why. Vancouver is nothing special. They just seem to get beat every time. I don't know what it is. Uh, Elias Pettersson always has good games against the Avalanche. Um, that last game was weird, the first game of the road trip. Mm-hmm. Where... When Calvert got hit in the head. Oh, that game. Yeah, I forgot about that game. Uh, the Avalanche won that one, I believe. Right, right, because yeah. Nathan McKinnon won they, in overtime. Yeah, they won that one in overtime, and Nathan McKinnon ended it. But this past game, the one on Friday, mm-hmm. I believe it was. Yeah, so it'll be exactly seven days. Yeah, so the one, the, on, the one on Friday when they went down 3-1, Francouz led in a bunch of bad goals early. The Avalanche came back and tied it 3-3. Lo and behold, it's 4-3, 5-3, empty netter 6-3. It was just a very odd game where it was very winnable, and the Avalanche played well, and they put up 18 shots in the first period to 6, I believe, for the Canucks, if my mind serves me right. I'm not even looking this up. It's weird memory. Uh, but uh, that was a winnable game, and they surrendered 6 goals, and Francouz led in 5. So it's always hit or miss with, with the Golden Knights. But after that, obviously... It's back to the Sharks a week from today, next Tuesday. And uh, they're 2-0 and against San Jose, and they can hopefully sweep them next yeah. week. I'm excited for that for that Golden Knights game. I think the Avs and Golden Knights always yep. have really exciting games. Uh, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury always puts on a show here in Denver. Yeah. Hopefully we'll probably record uh, after that game, so we yeah. don't need to look too much further ahead of those. But three big games, not exactly lay-down games. Very, you know, they're just going to have to keep scratching and clawing away at this schedule. Um, to stay afloat here atop the conference. Yeah, uh, this is going to be a really, really, uh, really important road tri- or homestand for the Avalanche. Obviously, they only have four road games left, and then they got uh, nine at home, I believe, out of these last 13 games. So their home record hasn't been as good as their road record this year, but this is the time for them to sort of solidify that because if you have nine of 13 left at home in the regular season and you're expecting home ice advantage, 11 of your next 15 games are ultimately at the Pepsi Center, and you need to start winning there like you were last year and most importantly in 2018 luckily i think the roster is built with the hard workers they need to kind of fill this yeah. stretch out and until the, the top guys get back yeah. yeah i feel like i do need to mention logan o'connor's name he's been a good revelation this time just a very smart guy on and off the ice he's a very smart very bright kid and he's played a very responsible game and you know i feel i feel like i just respected him for not even mentioning him as one of the avalanches forwards because you got 12 healthy you got kamenev jose and you got o'connor I mean, Don't forget got, about Barbario. Yeah, he's a forward too now. Uh, so you got 15 forwards that can play on this team when they're healthy, and that doesn't even include the fact that Colin Wilson is out, we presume, for the year, if not forever. I don't know where he is anymore. <laughs> and uh, you still have guys like Cout in the minors. But the Avalanche have that depth, and players like O'Connor, you know, that's the cool part is when you have 15 options like that, when you don't have a Gabriel Bork on your fourth line like they did last year, uh that gives Bender the option, like, hey, Tyson Jones is not having a good night. We're going to sit him. You can be a Giannis Donskoy. You could be a Valerie Nachushkin. These guys that have been having good seasons. You're not having a good night. Well, we have a Logan O'Connor we can play. Mm-hmm. We have a Tyson Jost we can play. We have a Kamenev we can play. So it gives Bender those options, obviously, assuming that they're healthy. It's kind of tough watching. I forgot to mention this back when we were talking about Zadorov, but the the fact that he was scratched and and the alternative was Kevin Connaughton, that's a bit head scratching yeah. and a little bit frustrating. But you know, again, it's just Bednar sticking to his guns and yeah. you know making sure everybody's playing the right way at the most important time of the season. So yeah. 
Um, I really quick, you know, it's been a while since our last podcast. Main reason for that is because you and I both went on trips. I wanted to get into those a little bit, just tell the listeners about yeah. our experiences. I mean, I went to Nashville, watched the Avs game uh, there as a fan. What a beautiful place. I mean, everybody's already kind of pumped this place's tires, but it's a fun place for a game. I mean, their, their arena's right there, right on their party strip. You know, there's a lot of people just having fun in Nashville. It's a great place. If you ever get the chance to catch a game in Nashville, I yeah. 100% recommend it. Just just a great great experience all around. Yeah. And you, uh, you yourself, you went to Detroit. You got to cover the game. A yep. little bit different perspective there. Go ahead and tell us your story. That was a lot of fun. Uh, obviously being back home was fun. The, uh, Little Caesars arena is just fun. I mean, I miss the Joe as much as the next guy in Detroit. That was our piece of shit backyard arena that we loved. Mm -hmm. But, uh, Little Caesars arena was just an unbelievable place. I'll show you a picture of their press box after we're done recording. It's just, it's ridiculous. It looks better than probably what Kroenke's suite looks like when he cut our press box in half. (laughs) Uh, just an awesome place. The arena's great. The fans there still show up, even though their team sucks. Uh, the Red Wings were a lot of fun. And just being on the road, is it's a different feel. It's a different, more intimate feel when you're in that locker room on the road. A lot of the players were like, hey, you're on the road. This is great. Ian Cole obviously had to talk shit because he knows I'm mm-hmm. a Michigan fan. And he's like, of course you'd be here. I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, obviously it's home. And mm-hmm. uh so it was a lot of fun. It was a it was it was a great experience. Um, I'm excited to one day be on the road for every Avalanche game. You know, hopefully once I make it big as a journalist. Um, and uh, I've been to 15 NHL arenas. Uh, wow. Yeah, Nashville was only my fourth. But I've never been to Nashville. That was going to be my next point. I'm yeah. excited to go there. One of my buddies went out there, uh, who who also supports the Avalanche, big Avalanche fan. Well, you know him, Justin. He went out there a couple years ago and wanted me to go with him, and I couldn't make it. And you know that was when Nashville was the year they were going on their run and they had Subban and they had all this excitement. So I kind of wish I was able to go on, go to that game, but, uh, never yeah, been I to mean, that arena. That was the best part about it is that the, the bruised and battered avalanche with Mark Barbario playing his first game at forward. We're still able beat to beat the predators on the second of a back to back after beating friggin' Carolina, who was hot. Absolutely. But you know, the fans in, in Nashville are very passionate. They love the team. They don't, quite know too much about hockey the person to my left I had to explain a couple of the rules but just the fact that the Avs went in there got a win a ton of Avs fans were there I think a lot of people made that trip as well just decided hey let's make a weekend of it it was also cool because um, Nashville got their first uh, MLS game in their history they just got a brand new team so they had a good little party festivities going on the games were going on at the exact same time that's awesome um so there you know it was it was a festive atmosphere just a great place again can't recommend it enough to go there i would never live there too much country music for me for my liking but Hmm. um just a great place fun 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 yeah that's what i've heard a lot of mike always tells me mike chambers always tells me nashville's a great place and he's kind of low-key pulling for nashville to make the playoffs in that wild card spot and the avalanche to win the division not because he wants anything other than i want to go to nashville on the road so i'm like hey man all the power to you so it just seems like a very fun place we saw it during their stanley cup final run what kind of party they can have and how much their uh their fan base loves the predators and the nhl in general and we saw it at the all-star game a few years back as well so uh, I definitely can't wait to check out that arena. Yeah, absolutely. So for that reason, they are one of my honorable mentions because they did experience the tornado also that same yeah. weekend. So they're one of my honorable mentions Couple for days later. Yep. our three stars of the week, which we're going to get into right now. Mile High Sports, three stars of the week, brought to you by us. Star number three, I'm going to give it to Tyson Jost. I know he kind of fell off 
last couple games, but right after that uh, trade deadline, he really sparked his game. I mean, we saw him kind of flying like we hadn't seen him before. I mean, if that was the Tyson Jost we had seen all year, there'd probably be no question that the Avs were trying to keep him and weren't going to shop him at all. So I, I love the game he's been playing. Um, you still like to see him bury some more goals, but just that fire, that intensity, I guess uh, you, you might just have, you know, uh, a new look on things when you don't get traded. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just kind of re-sparks your game say, oh, these guys were trying to trying to trade me. Well, let me prove to them why they shouldn't be doing that because I want to stay here. All my friends are here. Yeah, and uh, ever since that Buffalo game right after the trade deadline, he's got two goals and four assists in eight games. So eight point, or six points in eight games. It's, it's a respectable uh, output for a player like him. He also had a goal waved off for a high stick and he's just been putting in a lot more effort and like you said it's better once that trade deadline is a, is done and you know you're not going to get traded you're here with your friends and you're going to be on that playoff push for a team that you've been a part of for four years so uh you know good for him um this is what he needs whether he's in avalanche next year or not uh is not the concern right now the concern right now is for him to get back to enjoying hockey getting good at it and sort of building that momentum like we were talking about with Martin Cow earlier where he can have that confidence going into the mm-hmm. summer saying that, you know, I belong in this league because for three months it didn't seem like that, not for him and not for, you know, people that were uh, obviously people like us, media and fans that were talking about him. Yeah, I mean, his game when he's doing this balls to the wall, you know, 100% going every corner, going every net, you know, crashing, mm-hmm. he reminds me a lot of, of Matt Nieto's game. He's a little bit more skilled. So if he could just, you know, again, just tap into this, a hundred percent of the time, he's going to be a, a very valuable player moving forward. Just you know, a more skilled Matt Nieto, if you will. So you know, I, I'm hope I'm cheering for him. I'm cheering. Yeah, for him. I mean, there's no reason not to. He's a great kid. He's 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 a really nice guy. He's nice to talk to. Great to talk to. And you know, his success, his his lack of success, you know, lack thereof of production is not because he doesn't try. It's just. He gets in his head. The frustrations start to mount, and I mean, it's it's a normal thing to happen. It's 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 just you know the frustrations come from the fan base when you realize that he was a top ten pick, and you know the very next year another top ten pick, or the year before was Miko Rantanen, and look where he was, or the year after, and look where he's gotten to, and look where Joe still is, and you know it does get frustrating. But the kid, you know, he he tries he tries as hard as he can, and he won the Avalanche that Carolina game right before Nashville and right before Detroit, and. You know, all the power to him. Nieto's a free agent this summer. Maybe he can sort of get that role locked up for himself going into next year. You never know. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing is is he's getting in his head now that he's not going to be a top six forward, that he's more, um, I guess, suited for the NHL when he's playing this kind of yeah. madman hockey. And killing penalties. He's been a penalty killer with all these injuries to the Avalanche, losing Calvert, who's got three shorthanded goals and plays a lot of PK minutes. Now you got a Tyson Jost killing penalties, and he's done a pretty good job. The Avalanche went 24 straight penalties without surrendering a goal before that game against San Jose. So he was part of that, and he was certainly playing a lot of minutes. Star number two, we touched on him a little bit just because it's amazing that he's so versatile, and he's actually doing a pretty good job at forward. Mark Barbario. <laughs> Yeah. I, it was it's just surprising to see him out there at forward you, you know his first shift i remember looking around and say like, wait there's graves there's mccarr and there's barbario is he yeah. playing forward right now what's going on he's handling it well being a team player i mean a couple podcasts ago you and i were talking about how there's a chance we probably won't see him again this season so it's nice to see him yep. find a role and you know just make himself relevant again you know i gotta shout out mike for this one because he told me last week before barbario played that forward but it was it was the game where he covered for zadorov he said you know, I know you've only been in the press box for a year now in the locker room for a year, but he said, you know, from what I've seen the last four years, Barbario's the best number seven defenseman you can have because he never says a word. 
He never complains. He never bitches about anything. He comes to work every day. He practices hard. He stays afterward, even though he's, you know, probably in his 30s now, I believe, 30, 31 years old. And he never says a, he never says a damn word to anybody. He never complains about anything. And when he's called upon, he'll play. Mm-hmm. And that's what's been happening now. It's not, hey, Barbario, we want to play you. It's, hey, Barbario, we're, we're punishing Zadorov. Come play. And he's not like, oh, yeah, now you need me. It's okay. I'm part of the team. I'm going to do this. And when they needed to play seven defensemen, he jumped right into a forward role. He played forward. He played defense. He did whatever was asked of him. And I'm starting to really see that, that he truly is the best number seven defenseman you can have. And uh, this goes back to a point I made last month uh, before the trade deadline. Six, seven defensemen, number five, six, seven defensemen like, like a Mark Barbario, they're never going to win you a game. But if they make mistakes, if they're not responsible, they can lose you a game. And Barbario, at least this year and last year as well in a limited role, has done a good job of making sure that you don't notice him. He doesn't lose you any games. As long as he stays out of the box. Exactly, yeah. Which has been tough for him Sometimes, times. yeah. Um, but yeah, one of the one of the moments that's going to stick out in my memory forever in my so far six years of covering this team was two years ago after they lost to Nashville and they were done with the playoffs. And I was talking to Barbario and he was a free agent at the time. And he was just talking about, man, I hope I come back. I yeah. want to be a part of this team. You know, his eyes were tearing that. up. Just that. emotional about how much he wanted to be around the team. So the fact that he's getting kind of this renaissance to his game and that it's not completely over for him in an avalanche sweater just warms your heart i know you know he's a fan favorite everybody loves him and that mustache when he has it so um you know shout out to mark barbario gotta love the guy star number two yeah i mean he deserves it and you know he might see some time in the playoffs and for good reason or for bad reason you never know but uh he's a great team player and he's always he's always willing to chat if you want to talk to him it's a great guy Man, you'd love to see his name sketched into that cup, huh? Yeah. Star number one, you don't get a star from the NHL without getting a star from us. I think the NHL, you know, they're on to us. But Gabe Landeskog, like I mentioned, just his presence since he's been back has definitely been felt. He's back to contributing offensively where there was a, a good while um, where he, he was pretty silent in, in the offensive category. Um, you know, when McKinnon's kind of lacking, he's been there to pick it up. Um, and he's just kind of creating that havoc that we're used to seeing from Gabe Landeskog after not seeing it for a little while. So shout out to him for kind of resurrecting his game uh, the way they needed it to and right right in time. Yeah, he had nine points in four games last week, um, but he's sort of resurrected his entire season. He's up to 21 goals and 21 assists for 42 points in 53 games. Over a full season, you're looking at a 67 to 70 point pace, if my math is correct. So that's a hell of a season, especially after the way he started offensively where he wasn't there. The numbers weren't really there. But, you know, it's just nice to see how much he's picked up his game. Ever since that outdoor game uh, against the Kings last month on the 15th, this is his output uh, offensively in terms of points. 2-1-0-1-1-1-1-1-3-2-3-0. Two games where he was held scoreless. It was a game against Anaheim in February, and then it was you know, last night, Monday night. Mm -hmm. So he's just been up there every single night. He had, obviously, like I said, three goals and nine points in four games last week, and the Avalanche are 2-1-1. and one. Uh, He was a big reason why they even were 2-1-1. and one. Is there more of a living symbol for the Avalanche right now than him and, and Bellamare wearing those uh, nose protectors, <laughs> padding, band-aids, whatever the hell they are? Poor Bellamare, man. That was a fight from hell against <laughs> Anaheim against Delorier. Jeez. Yeah, but just speaks to, you know, the warrior that Landis Gog is. He's just yep. going to throw a thing yeah. over his nose and keep battling. You know, we don't even know if he's 100%. He has been 
fighting off some injuries this year, but the way he's been playing makes him look uh, exactly the way he, he needs to be looking at this time of year. Um, other than that, I think, uh, yeah, we already pointed out my honorable mention for Nashville and, you know, the tornado incident. I guess that's all I have on the docket for now. Uh, you know, it's a tight squeeze here in between games. I hope you get the chance to listen to this before the New York Rangers game. Anything you want to throw out there, hopefully we get back here on Sunday night after the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, for sure. I'm down for that. 632 career games for Landis Gog in the regular season. He's got 198 goals. Will he hit a 200 before that Vegas podcast on Sunday? He's got three games. What do you think? Yes or no? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say no. They got the Rangers, Canucks, and Golden Knights. You know what? I'm going to go with yes, only because he's probably going to play 45 minutes because he's one of two healthy forwards. (laughs) That's that's a good reason. Well, yeah, I guess uh, other than that, thanks for joining us. Uh, Hockey is for everyone. Don't forget about that. You know, that was a big thing this month, and, you know, considering that I'm of Spanish descent, you're of uh, Iraqi descent, you know, these are two guys that, uh, you know, typically shouldn't be talking about hockey. Um, you know, well, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Hockey is for everyone. So just wanted to make sure I pumped that, too. Make sure you're washing your hands. Stay clear of coronavirus. Yeah. Man, I really hope the Avalanche, you know, San Jose's already looking at it. I hope the Avalanche don't start playing games behind closed doors with no fans. That's just going to be weird for everybody. It's They've been really doing it in weird. Europe with soccer. Who knows? It, I don't know. I just hope that they let us back into the locker room soon because this whole media out of the locker room thing is weird. And <laughs> I don't really agree with it, but, you know, we can bark up that tree on Sunday when it's become more official. All right, guys. Well, yeah, other than that, we're out of here for Arif. I'm JJ. Hopefully we'll see you Sunday, and we out you. Not me, said the referee.